This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it's time, as it always is, as we begin, for what you need to know. The Daily Wink, what you need to know. And it is Crisis Afghanistan Day 9. Crisis Afghanistan Day 9. What you need to know is it's no longer possible to call this incompetence. It's at least negligence or worse. Let's talk about that. That's today's wink. What you need to know. All right, so Ed Martin here, ProAmericaReport.com. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up right there for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know. It comes into your inbox, 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time, in between 7 a.m. In the, in the central time, and 6 o'clock in the mountains, if you're in the Rocky Mountains or anywhere else. So that's what you know. That's where you got to go. ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there. Lots of uh, standalone links are there, the great interviews we do. So many great. And by the way, I have such a good time. I interview these great guests that write books. And then when I have a question, I, I just email them and I say, hey, can you uh, help me with this? So I actually am looking right now at Old Abe, the book on Abe Lincoln by John Cribbs, who published by Republic Book Publishers. I've had him on the show three or four times. It's a great book. It's a great book. It's a it's a, a, a historical fiction, kind of a novelized uh, coverage of Abe Lincoln from the time he was about to run for president until he died. And it's just extraordinary. It's really well done. Anyway, I emailed John. I said, hey, John. Uh, because I had him on the show, I'm friends with him now. Tell me why Abe Lincoln ran for the U.S. House of Representatives and won, but ran to serve one term. He announced it when he ran. Why did he run for one term? He could have served for 50 terms, been Speaker of the House. And John Cribb emailed right back and solved the problem, which I'm not going to tell you about until later on, because it has to do with uh, it has to do with 2022. So I'll come back for that later on in the program. Uh, but let's get to what you need to know. Today's wink. Crisis Afghanistan Day 9, and the news is out now that there are four people serving, four men serving in senior Taliban roles. The government has been formed. Four members of the Taliban senior government are people, bad guys, who Barack Obama released in exchange for Bo Bergdahl. Remember Bo Bergdahl? He was the guy who walked away. Uh, He had deserted. He he was court-martialed later for it. And so four of these rotten dudes, four, we gave four of them up to get Bo Bergdahl back, which was a terrible, at the time it was criticized as a terrible, terrible thing. And most of the people who said, you know, why did we just exchange high-level, high-level at the time, this is back when Obama was president, people said, why did we just give four major terrorist leaders for one deserter, a guy that was traitorous? Now, I don't judge a whatever 22-year-old kid why he became a traitor, why he walked away. Could have been mental health. I don't know. But you just, you're giving up four bad guys, and now they're in the Taliban leadership. At a certain point, you say, um, that wasn't the Obama administration. That was the Obama-Biden administration. This was the policy. Remember, Joe Biden bragged, I was the last guy in the room on every decision. I work with Barack on everything. I don't know whether to believe it or not, but it certainly said it. And Obama always said it. So here we have the policy of the two presidents, Obama and Biden, is this what I've been trying to call incompetence. And last week, Selena Zito, the great writer who writes for the New York Post and the Washington Examiner and is on many times on TV and all, she confronted me when I said I thought it was incompetence. She said, it's not incompetence. She said, it's negligence. At this point, it's clearly negligence. 
We have a, a, a set of leaders who don't know what they're doing or it's worse than negligence, which is hard to say, right? I'm not somebody who goes all the way to thinking that these people are, are you know, anti-American traitors that are in office in the government. I don't go that far. But at a certain point, we're past incompetence. We're now in negligence. And to believe it's negligence, you have to believe that they made these mistakes as opposed to did these things intentionally. Now, I can't read anybody's minds. Susan Rice, Barack Obama, excuse me, uh, Joe Biden, Barack Obama either. I can't read their minds to know their intentions. But if you were going to destroy the confidence of we the people in our government and, and endanger our nation because of what the rest of the world thinks, if that was your goal... You couldn't do better than what Obama did and what Biden's done. You couldn't do better. If your goal was to destroy the confidence the world has in America as a serious leader, there's nothing you could have done better. They did a great job. Great job. A perfect job. Obama-Biden, a perfect job at undermining America's credibility in the world, making us look and be weaker and make America less safe. And I'm not even right now talking about comparing it to what Trump would have done. I don't really care to do that right now. I'm just saying crisis Afghanistan day nine. We've got four dudes that got freed bad guys for Bo Bergdahl, the deserter. And we've got now Bagram Air Base, which the prison was emptied out. So there's lots of bad guys out of there. I think it was the prison at Bagram and the Bagram Air Base. The Chinese are saying maybe they'll use it. And what they're really saying is they'll pay to fix it so that the uh, Taliban and others can use it. And I did a radio interview, everybody knows, on, on Wednesday mornings, I do an interview on a, on a Ch- uh, Champaign-Urbana radio station. And they asked me, they said, you know, what do you, what do you think about what's happening? And I said, what do I think what's happening? It, it, it's never been this, uh, it's this bad in terms of, again, not changing the direction of what you're doing. Uh, incompetence is making dumb moves and then, and, and then making them again. Negligence is making dumb moves and not being able to change your mind, whether it's political negligence or military negligence. At this point, we've got 100, 200, 500 Americans who are being held hostage. And the talk now is that since we actually blackmailed ourselves, we said uh, we want our people out that week ago. We said, uh, Joe Biden said, yeah, we're going to get all our people out no matter, no matter what happens, no matter what date. Uh, by the way, we want them out. And then now we said, oh, oh, yeah, so you got some of our people? So we'll pay you. We'll, we'll, we'll green light all the aid from other countries and from the nationals because they won't give you the money if we don't say to. So we'll green light it. We're paying ourselves, but we're, we're blackmailing ourselves. And yet we still haven't gotten the people out. So we're in this position. And I said on this radio interview, I don't want this. I do not want this. I'm telling you now, I don't want this. We should hope and pray it doesn't come about. I hope and pray that the rumor, there's a rumor that the state department is negotiating with the Taliban to get all the people out and we'll have to pay them a bunch of money. Fine, fine, get them out. Because I, I fear a hostage video where they've got some American or some legitimate uh, Afghani who helped Americans and they mistreat them or they show some Taliban fighters who are that look like they're outside of the chain of command who do something terrible. And then we'll be in the position I mentioned yesterday where the saber rattling will be, what are we going to do? And my answer would be, we got drones, we got missiles, we got bombers. We, we're not going back in. But if you mess around, you're going to pay a price. That should be clear. But you know what? It's clear to me and you. It's clear to sort of sane people. It's not clear that we have people in the White House that are either sane, but I think they are sane. So they're negligent or worse. 
Crisis Afghanistan, day nine. What you need to know is normal leaders would have changed course. They would have course corrected by now. If they were just incompetent, Jimmy Carter, he was just incompetent and he tried to get guys out and it messed up and he, I mean, he didn't know what to do, but they would, you'd course correct. You try something different. Right now, we don't have course correction. And at a certain point, that makes it so it's not incompetence, it's negligence or worse. That's what you need to know. And where it's headed is not to a good place. And I'm going to say this. When you're, when you're Obama, Biden, you know, two presidencies are overshadowed by the great philosopher Rahm Emanuel who said, never let a crisis go to waste. And we've seen it over and over again. We're seeing it now where we, the people are told you have to take Afghani refugees. Every other person in Afghanistan, every other Afghani was a translator, an interpreter. We have to take them all. That's the, that's what the, they're using the crisis to try to change. We, the people force us to act because we wouldn't be good people if we didn't allow that. So if that's your mantra, never let a crisis go to waste, then giddy up, get another crisis. And so what will the next crisis be? I fear for those hostages. I fear for where we're headed. And that's what you need to know. That's what you need to know now. It's not incompetence. It's worse. It's negligence or even worse. I only reason I'm not saying it's intentional is because I can't read their minds to know their intent, but it looks like I think it would look the same. I think it would look the same. And we should be very, very, very worried about that because that's putting us on a dangerous course, a dangerous, dangerous course. By the way, I'll put this up, piece up on the, uh, uh, it's, I, I was reading about this from the Western Journal. I love the Western Journal. My old friend Floyd Brown, I'll put it up there. Uh, you can, you, what you need to know, you can look, look at westernjournal.com a lot and find out stuff. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we've got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com uh, and you'll get what you need to know there too. Be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is a fascinating story, which as I say that, when you hear it, you'll say, wait, it's not just fascinating. It's kind of terrifying and worrisome and uh, a big deal. Derek Kovic is a friend of, of my friend. Tammy Nichols has been on the show a number of times. She's a state rep up in Idaho. And he has this incredible story. First of all, he suffers from a very serious disease, a liver disease that's called the primary sclerosing cholangitis cholangitis i'll see if i said that wrong he'll correct me and he's had it for years he's now in his uh, early 40s and so he's got this disease he lives in idaho and he is in the position where he's got to make as we talk about in this program you have to make uh weigh the risks risk management for whether you uh, i don't know leave the house because you're worried about something or uh, uh take a vaccine or anything else and so he is now in the sort of center of a whirlwind you may have seen him over on tucker carlson's program so first derek kovic uh, welcome to the program and before we go further tell us what this disease you have is and how it will play out you look like a healthy guy on tv you seem strong is it is it a is it a chronic disease or is it really tell us what it is please welcome to the program yeah well thank you for having me uh yeah primary sclerosis and cholangitis walter payton died from it um wow. for, many of you know the chicago bears hall of fame running back um yeah. see, i think chris ladulio cowboy at pfc so it's an autoimmune disease they have no cure for it i was playing college baseball in 1999 when i was diagnosed with it and at that time they thought that just men in their 40s were getting the disease. But over time, we've got children and women, and it's kind of just hmm. it's spread out, you know, tenfold. 
So what it is is a disease in the bile ducts uh, in your liver, and when you're, it scars your bile ducts, which you need those bile ducts to process and filter your liver so the bile can go down and all the foods that you eat and the stuff that you drink, it breaks everything down so you can waste, you know, send it out to where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it needs right. to go. When, when your bile ducts don't work anymore, that bile can't get through those bile ducts. And what happens is you start getting backed up and people start turning jaundice and yellow because the toxins, the bile has got to come out to their pores because there's nowhere for it to go. Right. And then it just starts right. starts creating havoc on all the other organs. And if you don't get a transplant, you you basically die because it's not like a kidney or a heart. You can go on, on dialysis. You can you know, get plugged into machines for other organs. The liver is just, it's the, the biggest organ. And really, I, I believe it's the most important, you know, organ that we have. Um, and there's just no way to treat the disease, you know, uh, at this time yet. So, so that's been the, uh, you know, the, I guess the scary part over the last 20 years. And I've had two liver transplants uh, already, one in 2009, right. one in 2010. The disease came back. Right. It is a fifteen percent chance of it reoccurring, so it came back like four years ago. And so here wow. we are, uh, University of Washington, which is where I had my first two. I got listed uh, back in November of last year, and mm-hmm. everything was on board. Uh, nothing. I I was worried about the vaccine. I was like, you guys aren't going to make us get the vaccine, are you? And they said, no, no, no. It's you know, right now it's just still in the early stages. There's not enough data out there to really test uh, and right. tell us you know, exactly, is this good for our transplant community or is it not? So we're just going to hold off and, and wait. And then all of a sudden uh, in August, they said, hey, change of plans, got to have the COVID vaccine and you're off the list. It's like, whoa, 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 what change? Did you guys have a study done with the transplant patients? No, it's the infectious yeah. disease that make, make the rule. I'm like, well, you can't change the rules of two minutes of going to a football game. You can't say now all of a sudden the touchdown's only worth five points. That's basically what you just did. And uh, so your hands are tied. Well, and, uh, Derek, well, before we get to that, um, you, you were, so your life in a way, I know you've been a baseball coach and you, you know, you have a life, but in a way you've had for 20 plus years, you've had to be a risk management expert for Derek Kovic. You've had to say, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to make this decision. That's, that's been a part of your life. So it's not some people that are uh, living with the world we're in. They, they don't have any sense of what I'm talking about. So back up one second. Before, uh, like a year, right when the pandemic hit, when they locked everything down, and I know Idaho was a little bit better than the rest of the country, but you still had the governor there was pretty, uh, pretty pushy. But did you, how did you measure your risk? Did you say, okay, if I get COVID, it would be really bad for me because I've got some of the secondary issues that could be a problem? So did you have a, and maybe were your doctors telling you, be super careful? Or how did you handle before this problem? How did you handle just the straight up the question of COVID? Well, that's a great, uh, actually, it's a great insight and a great question because I haven't treated COVID any different than I had the past 20 years. Uh, when, right. when you're transplanted, I mean, they, they told you, like, look, you can't, you know, you can't, don't share drinks with anybody. Don't share food, you know, with anyone. Be careful, you know, what you do. Make sure you wash your hands when you go to the bathroom. Make sure when you wash your hands, period, you know, don't lick door handles, just kind of the basic thing. So I've already <laughs> been living my life like this for the past 20 years. So when, when the whole COVID thing happened, 
I just said, this isn't, my life didn't change at all, except, you know, now, except for the mask, which I have spent the last 10 years since my last transplant trying to build my immune system up. I, I right. wasn't, I would wear a mask only if I was absolutely forced to, to go into a store and there was another, no, uh, no other alternative. And right. if my kids were with me, cause I didn't want to have any confrontation. I didn't want somebody crazy to get right, in my right. face and say, where's your mask with my kids. So I did that to protect them. But as far as everything else goes, I just, I've stuck to my guns and, uh, mm-hmm. the doctors never mentioned COVID one time. They were never, they didn't seem scared. Uh, throughout the spring mm-hmm. or out the summer, not one time did they ever mention COVID. Are you taking any extra precautions? I mean, they, we, we, they trust us. I and mean, in people in the transport right. world, we've been living like this forever. Right. So it never really scared so, me. So- it- so cut to the cut to the chase on this. So we're, again, we're talking with Derek Kovic, and I'll put a piece up uh, uh, from the uh, newspaper there, and you can see him, Tucker Carlson. But cut to the chase. So they say if you don't get vaccinated, you get knocked off the list, and um, and uh, a week or two or three, or I won't hold them, you or them to the date. They had said we're not talking about that. We're just focused on what you're doing because because here's what I would say. I'm just reading from the outside. They know if you're a good transplant uh, transplant uh, prospect, you're going to be doing the things that are staying healthy, being careful, you know, not going, uh, you know, uh, like you say, sharing handkerchief, whatever, right? And, but I mean, only only half kidding. You, a good transplant uh, prospect is going to be doing all the things. You don't come in and do intravenous drugs. I mean, and I'm, again, I'm not kidding. I'm saying they they have to prioritize this. And so the switch was bureaucracy is that your read in other words the bureaucrats somewhere said oh no make sure everybody's uh uh vaccinated is that how you read it because the doctor didn't care the week before right and it's got it got punted to the infectious disease which is another team within a uh, you know a hospital i don't see those I people see. so it's my it's not my doctor and my transplant they're saying that we think based on the knowledge that we have that our transplant patients will do better or have a better chance to fight off COVID if they have a vaccine. And my thing is like, well, prove it. Well, we can't prove it. We just think based on that. And I said, Hey, give me a vaccine after I get a transplant, but I've got a lot of stuff going on with my body right now. And if I get a vaccine and we get some kind of weird side effect, how do we know what we're treating? Is that going to put me in a, cause you have to be healthy. Well, you have to be so sick you're dying, but you still right. have to be healthy enough to have a transplant. So you can't have a cold. You can't have any sniffles right. or anything like that. Or they'll say, hey, we got to go with plan B. They always call two people for a transplant, you know, a backup in case somebody's right. Sick. So oh, wow. I um, do believe. Uh, but, 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 but I want to pa- pause and ask you what you just said. Did you just say that if you went through the transplant and you got to the other side and the doctors and your doctors, the one that did the transplant that you see all the time, said, hey, look, you know, Derek, you're through this and we know... The, I'm just saying I'm saying they say this to you that we know it'd be better for you to do the vaccine because we'd be more worried if you got COVID. You'd be open to that? Well, if I survived a liver transplant and then it came down to it, I'd be like, I think I just survived like the, the Mount Everest. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Transplant, like, <laughs> you know, I survived. Yeah. Uh, you know, not too many people get a chance to be three. And that's why, like you said before, I'm a good candidate because I'm young, I'm healthy, I've taken care of my body, I've played by all of the rules, I'm just kind of fighting them on one rule now because it's just 
Uh, well, they changed you know, it. They changed the rule in the middle. Of, well, yeah. they changed the rule in the middle of the game too. That's the other thing. So, what, uh, Derek? What's the prospects? I mean, you and I are having this conversation, and I feel like, uh, you know, like you and I could be like hanging out right now, and, and you're, you're you're facing a bigger problem than like. So, what are the prospects now? Well, there's other universities out there that don't require, and uh, coincidentally, I had already started trying to get listed. Uh, at a hospital in Utah and Arizona back in February, only to give myself uh-huh. a better chance of getting a call for a liver. If I'm listed in three different regions, I'm pulling from three different waves of people. I have a much better chance of getting a, a good liver versus just focusing on one region, which is, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. So I started that before anything. So a blessing in disguise it's really turned around and helped me out because now they're really expediting trying to get me listed on their list as well because, one, my MELD score is so high, they're transplanting right. people with the same MELD score as me. So there's a sense of uh-huh. urgency, not just for me, but for them, too. They're like, hey, we, we want Derek Kovic at our transplant. We want to save this guy's life. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like it's kind of nice to, you know, and, and maybe yeah. my name getting thrown out there have, have maybe has helped, you know, these other hospitals. Um, you know, and some of them probably were like, man, I hope that guy to try to come here because, you know, we don't want somebody <laughs> like that. It's going to be, you know, and, but hey, I'm not just standing up for me. There's a lot of people that have it worse off than me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wish, you know, with Seattle, I wish they would have given me October 18th. That's the day you're giving all your state employees, your coaches, your teachers, and you're giving them October 18th. Why don't you just give me till October 18th? Treat us all the same. That would have given me plenty of time to get listed, mm-hmm. you know, and not have to worry right. like, God, I got this decision to make yeah. in 24 hours or 48 hours, life or death. Wow. Kind of. Wow. Well, well, listen, uh, uh, listen. We'll we'll keep watching. We got I got to run. Uh, we'll keep watching, and uh, we'll be praying for you. And uh, Derek Kovic, uh, how many children do you have, Derek? I got two. I have a seven-year-old uh, Langdon and a four-year-old Reddick. I'm a. I've always been a big Duke fan, so I, I named him after uh, there you go. my favorite Duke uh, players. Oh, <laughs> uh, there you go. We won't hold that against you, but well, anyway. All right. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> great. Well, listen. We'll be. Uh, you just bumped you off the list for that. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm calling. I'm calling Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, all right. Well, listen. Hang in there. God bless you, and thank you for being. I think the important thing. I think God's got a plan because when we get through this. Having reasonable people talking about what they have have seen and try to break through this, it's just so important. So thanks for your time, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. John Schlafly's with us, as always. The Schlafly Report out each week. Uh, townhall.com is where they feature it initially on Tuesday nights, and then Tuesday late in the afternoon it posts, and then over at phyllisschlafly.com archived. This week's column, Can't Sit on the Sidelines Anymore, Herschel Walker runs for U.S. Senate. All right, John, um, you're advising Herschel Walker. You say uh, you got lots of money. You, uh, I think he was divorced when he was younger, so you got one divorce, but otherwise you're happily married. You seem like you have a good life. Why, why would you recommend doing this, running for U.S. Senate in Georgia? Well, Ed, you know, someone who has something to contribute needs to step up and and contribute to save our country. It's as simple as that. And uh, Herschel Walker has an opportunity, uh, you might say a unique opportunity. 
He's been a, a Trump guy for 35 years. Trump's all for him. Uh, he's been a hero for the state of Georgia for that length of time, since he was the star running back on the Georgia Bulldogs team, and everybody in Georgia cares about that. And right. um, he's <laughs> ready to go up against Raphael Warnock. And Raphael Warnock, who, you know, was a you know, it seems longer, but it's only been since January the 5th that Raphael Warnock was snuck in there improperly through a rigged election, but he was only in for two, two years, not six, and now's the time to replace him with somebody who is much better suited to the people of Georgia. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, Herschel Walker has been kind of a well-known, not just Georgia. I mean, he's been a figure, I mean, some of your listeners, I don't know, may not go back that far, but uh, he's been uh, an, an important public figure for a long time and is well-suited to be a Trump guy in the U.S. Senate from Georgia. Uh, John, what is the what do you think the um, likelihood that it, it, it's not it's not a free shot though, right? So we're going to end up with lots of primaries, and I guess the Trump your your point in the piece is the Trump uh, support sort of ends the primary, right? I mean that's how you would see this in Georgia. That, that I mean that's got to be your read on it, yeah. I I do, yeah, I do. Now, of course, there is and, a primary, and and as, as you know, uh, any state that is a potential an open seat, Missouri is another one where. As you know, there's uh, about five Republicans running, all of them trying to out-Trump each other, and Trump has not endorsed any of them. But uh, in Georgia, he has endorsed Herschel Walker, and so that really should end it. In my mind, it does. What is the? What do you think the number one issue? If you had to look at again, you're 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 the you're the political consultant, and this would be great if you're the political consultant for Herschel Walker. What do you think the number one issue that he should be focused on is? Uh, well, uh, oh, that's, uh, uh, I don't really know the answer to, to that. I mean, of course, it's got to be key to the, uh, the circumstances of the state he's running in, which is the state of Georgia. But beyond that, uh, uh, it's the issue that our country is careening out of control. And, uh, after Donald Trump left White ha- the White House, and uh, it's in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing, and what they do know is wrong, and we've got to get our country back. And, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a, you know, an intangible thing, and yet I think that's right. what the public, at least the Trump voting public, feels about the situation. Just look what has happened, what has happened in just the last seven months, and it's one catastrophe after another. And I don't know if we can even last until the next presidential election. So we've got. Well, that's me. That brings me. That, that that brings me up to my next point, John. And by the way, we haven't even commented on the fact that the pr- most prominent Senate candidate for a Rep- uh, Republican is an African American. I mean, it didn't. Even, I mean, I, you might have said it. I don't know if you did, but if you think about it, I mean, again, it sort of goes without saying. Gets me to this point. Larry Elder is leading the Republicans or leading the non-Governor uh, Newsom uh, category, and they've called him a white supremacist because uh, I guess he's conservative. But what's your read on that? On that, John? You, you, how do you? 
how do you see the recall? We yesterday or the day before we we had a uh, Noah Dingley, our great uh, producer, on who's in Southern California and talking about this recall. But you've seen a million of these. You saw Arnold. You saw uh, elections. What's your read on the uh, recall of Gavin Newsom? Well, the last poll that was announced uh, said that uh, you know it looks like Gavin Newsom has the votes to uh, defeat the recall. But that's all I know. Uh, uh, I, I it's all a question of. We used to say a question of turnout, but of course it's it's all by mail now. So uh, it's a question of who turns in uh, their <laughs> mail and ballot. And of course there's a, you know, so you know we're we're up against we're up against all of the crookedness of mail in balloting in California. We that's California. We can't do anything about it. Uh, so the winds are definitely against um, any challenger. I would say due to that. Due well, to that fact. and and that and and that's what I and that's what I was going to say to you, John. I I think Herschel Walker, the number one issue, it, maybe it's not in Georgia, but I think it might be, and it is for the primary. It's for Republicans is election integrity and and voter confidence. Yeah. And I think yeah. if you see, no matter what, no matter what happens on on uh, on September fourteenth, if Gavin Newsom squeaks by, I think most of the country, I should say that a little bit. I should be a little more careful. I think a lot of people. More than just, you know, tens of millions are going to say, oh, yeah, they did it again. Whether that's true or not doesn't matter. That's what they're going to say. And they're going to feel that. And I so I wonder in terms of the, the future, if that's not the number one issue for any candidate like Herschel Walker. Well, it certainly is. I believe it is in the in the, you know, the five states where Donald Trump was essentially cheated out of his reelection. And Georgia is one of those states. And I think there is a sense of grievance among Georgia Republicans about what happened in not only the presidential election, but in the two Senate runoff elections. And, uh, yes, I think that, that, that you know, people, that will be on everyone's mind. That's got to be, you know, we've got to take back the elections before we can take back our country, especially in the, the, the five states of Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you on that. All right. Well, John Schlafly, it goes f- fast. Uh, the the piece that's over at townhall.com, it runs at townhall.com as well as over at com. Can't sit on the sidelines anymore. John and Andy Schlafly, the Schlafly Report. Thank you, John. Uh, we've got to run. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Did you know that Congress once printed Bibles? At the time of the American Revolution, the British government had strict laws about printing Bibles. Only a few printers were licensed to do that, and none of them was in the American colonies. So all Bibles had to be imported from England. The Revolutionary War naturally interrupted trade with England, and there was a severe shortage of Bibles in America. In 1777, U.S. clergy petitioned the Continental Congress to have Bibles printed in America. In response, Congress passed a resolution to import 20,000 Bibles from Holland, Scotland, and other countries, but in the chaos of the war, they never arrived. 
So three years later, another resolution to print Bibles in America was introduced in Congress, and printer Robert Aiken petitioned Congress for permission to print them. Congress granted him permission, plus financial support, to print Bibles. His Bibles included an endorsement and recommendation from Congress on the first page. More American versions of the Bible were printed soon after. In the United States, printers had the freedom to print the Scriptures freely, without government approval. This was a radically different situation from what they had been used to under British rule, and it was a great victory for religious freedom. We now live in a country where prayer and Bible readings in public schools have been outlawed by the Supreme Court for over 50 years. We're told it's a violation of the Constitution to display the Ten Commandments in a county courthouse or to have a nativity scene at City Hall. But interestingly, the Continental Congress did not consider for a moment whether their appropriation to print the Bible was an affront to religious freedom. They knew it was not. When we look at changes in America, we should be concerned about our loss of religious liberty. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, let's turn to Europe. I want to show you something, and I want you to understand um, what is happening in the world is always echoing what's happening in America. And so I, I have subscribed at the invitation of a friend of mine uh, to what is called, oh, let's see, it's Euractive. Uh, is a website, your E-U-R, active, your active. It's a website that reports on uh, everything that's going on in Brussels at the EU. Part my friend Dominic Tarzinski, the uh, member of parliament from, of the European parliament from Poland, instructed me to get this. So I get this. And it, and it leans left, of course. Um, it's like Politico. In fact, there's a Politico.eu. There's an EU version of Politico over there also. But this one is called Your Active. And, and I'm on their email. They send a morning email a couple days a week called the Green Brief. The Green Brief. And it's all about how we've got to go green we got to go green and so the green brief so there's two updates on this in the world one is the green brief talks about how there the courtrooms is the new place to battle to make everybody go green and they recount how there's a dutch court who has put the uh, shell uh, oil company in court there then they talk about how there's united nations reports that can be used in courtrooms and that they think there'll be an expansion of other courtrooms and that the uh, the reality is germany's top court is also using a uh, green uh, the green fight they're using the courts to fight my point here is it's like what happened in america for the last 40 years Generally in America, they used the courts early on on the left to do things that had to do with unions. They would get rulings in favor of unions, rulings in favor, of course, for abortion, rulings in favor, of course, for marriage, redefinition of marriage, and on and on and on. They used the courts. That they, well, Another example was after the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, they wanted a constitutional amendment. My old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, beat that back, and they decided, well, we'll do it by a court case over and over, court case this, court case that. And what you have here is a kind of lawfare. 
And what you have here is the expansion of the idea that was so big in America in the last 50 years into other parts of the world. And here's where it gets particularly tricky. There are, of course, EU courts, European Union courts, and those courts which don't have sovereignty in the nations except as so, insofar as a nation grants it thus, right? So if you're a nation and you sign on to the EU courts to allow something, then you at least have an argument, well, what, what can you assign? But if you're a Polish citizen and the EU courts rule against your Polish laws and say they're unconstitutional or are not, with, are not up to the EU standards, what you're doing? Doing it to Hungary, doing it on trade, doing all these things. And so you have this extra sovereign problem. And remember, as I taught you, follow the money. One of the big ways that the EU uses the power against smaller states is money. So there's a bunch of COVID money that was put in by lots of the states that are wealthier than other states, and they're holding the COVID money until you participate and play along on their rulings, whether it's on the laws, what the laws have to do with, uh, in Hungary, there's a set of laws that say you should not teach certain subjects regarding homosexuality to children under the age of 16. And the EU's objected using its courts. So this lawfare is an export from America. It's been done by Europe. It's not like it's brand new. Second example, in Egypt, the president of Egypt has, has convened a big conference, huge conference, international conference. You have to read all the way to the end of the report to find out that the International Cooperation Forum, it's called Egypt, it's Egypt International Cooperation Forum, is an international community to drive sustainable recovery, sustainable recovery through multilateralism. It's sponsored by, wait for it, World Bank, uh, European uh, Organization, uh, UNESCO, OECD, African Development Bank, and of course, the European Bank for Reconstruction tied to the EU. My point here is, you know what the Egyptian president knows? He better sing green and he'll get green. If you sing green and you want to be renewable and all in this environment, from Joe Biden to Angela Merkel to all the others that want this green stuff, they'll say, oh, yeah, giddy up. There'll be money coming your way. You got to sing the song we want you to. So here what we have is the agenda, the green agenda, the green agenda. And by that, I mean the renewables, they call it, the, you know, re- renewable. It's, it's a green agenda, meaning it's all about the green, the dollars, the money. That's what's pushing it. And what happens is they're using over and over this green agenda, the renewables plus the power of the law, in this case, the courts pursuing green uh, 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 lawsuits. They're using it against sovereign states. In the case of Egypt, Egypt needs the money so bad, they just switch their positions. They become, they, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what their switch is. They assume the positions that are most advantageous for lots of money flowing into their country. They might believe it. I don't know. I could be wrong that they don't believe it. But I know if you're Egypt and you need development dollars and you like power, you better be on the right side of Joe Biden and the EU. And if you're in Hungary and Poland and other nations, some of the nations outside of the the old Soviet bloc, you don't really want to be told what you should do in your nation. But you're pretty much in a hot seat because they're using the courts and more and more in the courts using the courts, uh, uh, the issues of, of green technology and renewability and sustainability against you. This is a worldwide movement. And, you know, it doesn't slow down because one country, even if it's America, has one president who sees through it. They're right back in the saddle and they're doing it more and more. 
So I just thought I'd track those for you. That's an interesting thing overseas. I, as I mentioned, I got some friends that pushed me to keep an eye on what's happening there and seeing the problems. Uh, and there you have it. All right. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, who also stars in Noah Says, a regular segment. He'll be back on before the, um, before the um, uh, recall election, which happens on the 14th of September, Tuesday. Uh, he'll be, uh, we'll have one more Noah Says to get an update uh, maybe later on uh, this week. And thank you, Joanna, for booking our guests. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com as always and sign up for the daily wink what you need to know as well as uh, see these great interviews and we will be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego